What's up, everybody? Happy Labor Day, and welcome back to Gadget Reason Radio here on Anchor FM. Or if you're tuning in from the podcast, welcome to you guys as well. Not sure how many people will actually be tuning in today. Obviously, it's Labor Day, uh, but I'm still getting over a bit of a cold, so uh, drinking and partying was not really in the cards for me today. So I decided to do a Labor Day edition of the Tech Download. This Tech Download is going to be just a little bit different. I'm going to mix in some other uh, content, like just some of my thoughts on a few things that are going on in tech or a few few things on my mind, a few questions I have uh, regarding certain things that might be coming up in the near future. But um, I'll mix in that along with some of the top tech headlines that I found uh, over the weekend. But let's go ahead and jump in with this Monday Labor Day edition of the Tech Download for September 4th, 2017. So over this Labor Day weekend, I got a chance to really test out the PlayStation View and really watch a ton of sports, which is really the main reason or one of the main concerns I had about cutting cable was how great of a uh, sports watching experience would I still have. I don't really watch a whole ton of live TV um, outside of, you know, outside of sports. So my biggest concern was what would that look like? And so I sat here watching the opening uh, weekend of college football. Obviously, I'm a huge Yankee fan being from New York, and uh, the Yankee and Boston Red Sox series was going on all weekend, so I watched all of those games. Um, Just in general, a lot of sports going on, Um, a little bit of U.S. Open and and so on and so forth. So I'm watching all these sports and, uh, you know, great experience overall with PlayStation View. No, no major issues. A few little glitches here and there, but nothing um, that would be any worse than than uh, or I should say nothing that was so bad that it would make me not want to continue to use it and to go back to cable. Um, but it did get me thinking about something, and that is where the heck is all of the 4K uh, sports and 4K TV broadcasts? You know, we've been able to purchase 4K televisions now for going on three, I think three or four years, and yet uh, we still don't have 4K television broadcasts. And one of the questions I get asked more, more often than I can think about is, you know, is it worth it to upgrade to a 4K television? And one of the caveats that I always uh, explain when you're talking about buying or upgrading to a 4K TV is where are you gonna be watching most of your content? Where is it coming from? You know, if you still watch most of your, your content, if your television still predominantly gets used for watching cable or satellite television, then upgrading to a 4K TV isn't gonna get you a whole lot. Now, if you tend to watch a lot of streaming services like Netflix and Amazon Prime, um, and, and services like that, then there is a little bit more of a reason to upgrade. Uh, Amazon and Netflix especially have really started to ramp up their 4K content offerings. But, um, you know, that that still may not be enough to, to really make buying a 4K TV worth it. Now, if you're into a lot of streaming television and you're a gamer and you have a PS4 Pro or an Xbox One S or you're looking to possibly get an Xbox One X in the near future, then that would give you just another reason to maybe purchase a 4K television and know that you're going to have a way to milk the the content and, and really kind of get the most out of it. But if you don't fall into that category, then it really, you know, live TV in 4K is just not a thing yet. There's a few 4K broadcasts through DirecTV, um, but it's it's still a pretty far ways off. And the reason for that is most people don't realize, but current HD television broadcasts are not even really um, broadcast in full HD at this point. 
most broadcast television right now is coming into your house at about 720p, sometimes 1080i, and then being upscaled to that 1080p. So it's it's you know not even that common now to get 1080p, and we're you know going on 10, 11 years into these quote unquote HD TV. Um, you know, life cycle, and we're still not really able to consistently get a 1080p broadcast into our living room. So that should tell you how difficult the jump to making a 4K stream work is going to be. And, you know, it is in the works. The standard with which 4K TV will get broadcast is already in place. It's the ATSC 3.0 standard. And uh, that is basically just the, the broadcasting standard that will allow for a 4K stream to be broadcast. Now, if you're wondering what the heck that stands for, I'll tell you, it stands for the Advanced Television Systems Committee. And it's basically a group that was founded in 1992 that establishes uh, the standards for digital television. And it's currently used in the United States, Canada, um, even countries like the Dominican Republic, Guatemala, Korea. It's, it's used pretty widely around the world. Um, and its goal is to coordinate television standards among the different communications uh, media platforms. Now, one of my hopes is that this will eventually take place through streaming platforms before it will take place on a standard cable provider. But I think that there's just a ton of backend bandwidth that needs to uh, be available for this to be something that can actually come, come to fruition in the near future. So that is the reason why we don't have 4K TV streams currently. So if you're wondering, now you know. So speaking of television resolutions, it looks like Sharp is really ramping up its pixel pushing game and it has already announced an 8K television. So now that everybody has finally started to upgrade to 4K TVs, Sharp is ready to kick things off, getting people to start thinking about that upgrade anxiety and feeling like they're already outdated before they've even had time to enjoy 4K TVs fully. Sharp announced its 70-inch Aquos 8K TV, which is 7,680 pixels by 4,320. And that's 16 times that of a standard full HD TV. And it is, uh, I'm sure, absolutely ridiculous to see in person. But the problem, of course, with this is that really, uh, you know, you'd be probably hard pressed to tell the difference between 4K and quote unquote 8K at 70 inches. I would think that you'd probably have to be pushing this screen upwards to 120 inches to even begin to tell the difference. Um, but the naked eye just is not meant to be able to resolve these kind of details and pixels from you know the average viewing distance of eight to 10 feet away. So you know my frustration with this is that I think um, manufacturers of smartphones, televisions, even uh, in some cases, you know, computer monitors, are really just participating in in what I've called pixel pushing for a while now. It's basically like they're they're pushing pixels the way the way a drug dealer pushes crack on the street corner. It's it's really ridiculous that they're trying to cram these uh, these pixels down our throat. You know, I, I wish they would focus more on settling in on a single. Um, universal HDR standard because I feel like HDR is much more powerful in terms of impacting the way an image looks than making this jump from you know HD to 4K or 4K to 8K. And the fact that we're a couple years into the HDR game here and we still haven't been able to settle on a standard for that, I think it's ridiculous that Sharp is uh, already jumping on the 8K bandwagon. So you know, again, I mentioned in the last segment that you know we're not even we're barely reaching 1080p broadcast 
podcasts at this point when it comes to live television. So, you know, the hope that we might sometime in the next four to five years get 4K streaming broadcasts, which most likely will probably then be at 1440p or 2.5K or somewhere around there, right? Because, you know, if they've been claiming for years that they're providing HD content, but it's really only coming in at 720p, then, you know, when they start telling us that we're getting 4K content, you can probably assume that it's not really going to be 4K. It's going to be, you know, something closer to um, 1440p or something like that and then being upscaled to 4k but you know even in those situations why do we need 8k televisions i mean i can't even begin to imagine how many years i'm going to go out on a limb and say we're probably 12 to 15 years away from being able to get 8k broadcast live and if you're viewing 8k content on a on a 55 inch tv i mean you're just wasting your money Uh, there's just no reason so um, I don't know what you guys think about this, but I, I just think it's really gotten to be kind of silly. They don't even let us settle in on what isn't really even commonplace technology yet before they start trying to push the next best thing. So um, I'm not interested. I'm not even remotely close to considering uh, purchasing an 8K television. But what I would like to know, though, is if you haven't purchased a 4K TV yet, would the idea that 8K TVs might be rolling out in the near future make you want to hold off and just buy an 8K TV in, say, maybe a year and a half to two years, as opposed to upgrading now? Let me know. If you're a fan of Philips Hue light bulbs like myself, then you might be interested in an announcement that Philips made recently that they will be doing a firmware upgrade to its existing Philips Hue lighting system that will incorporate some of the features and technology similar to what it used to have with the Ambilight televisions. So I don't know if you remember, but back when Philips first uh, unveiled their first plasma televisions, they had a feature called Ambilight. And basically Ambilight was a backlit array of LEDs that would light up your wall in similar color spectrums as to what was being displayed on the display. And it was a way to add some type of an immersive experience by sort of having some of the colors and and what was happening on the screen sort of ooze out onto the wall where the TV was being displayed or hung or whatever. And it's, you know, it's kind of cool. I, I actually used to have a, an Ambilight um, television. My, uh, my roommates and I, back when I lived in Florida, had bought a Philips UTV for our hot tub room. And uh, it, was, uh, it was pretty cool, but, you know, it wasn't something that I would say I missed when I went to a TV that didn't have it. But this is going to be a little bit different. Instead of just having a strip of, you know, multicolored LEDs behind your television, the Ambilight upgrade or this, uh, this upgrade to the Philips Hue system will make it so that all the lights in your living room, let's say you had four or five light bulbs around your room that were all connected to your Hue system and possibly um, a a Philips Hue LED light strip behind your television, all of those would work in conjunction with the content being displayed on your television to change the color of the lighting around the room to match. Now, it sounds kind of cool, and I think it might be fun for a little while, but I can tell you right now, my wife would absolutely hate this. Um, is she would feel like we were in some kind of uh, disco nightclub and she would just lose her mind. So, um, you know, I don't know if I could say that I'd really watch TV like that on a regular basis, having the whole room sort of flashing different colors of lighting. It's going to depend, I guess, on how subtle the effect is and, uh, you know, what what kind of um, settings and, and, and sort of control you have over how much the lights change, how bright they get. Um, but I guess I could see it being kind of cool if some of the uh, lights in your room kind of um, got br- like a bright orange, if something on the TV exploded 
um, or maybe you know gunfire you have sort of a, a flash of light that kind of matches um, what's on the screen some of that could be kind of cool I guess I, I guess I'd really have to see it working in person it sounds like it's just gonna be a free firmware upgrade for the Philips Hue um, hub and if that's the case then basically anybody who has a Philips Hue lighting system already will be able to test this out so if that update comes through on my Philips Hue hub uh, I'll give it a go and test it out and let you let you guys know what I think I do have uh, about six different light bulbs in my living room that are all Philips Hue right now. So I have a good number of bulbs that I would be able to incorporate to test it out. So yeah, I'll let you know what I find out as soon as that update rolls through. Let me know if you guys would be interested in using this in your living room or gaming setup, um, or if you think it sounds a little bit uh, over the top, let me know. It looks like future Mac desktops and laptops could possibly adjust audio based on your seating position. So I'm guessing that this would be turning the right or left speakers up or down to sort of balance out the audio levels so that it still hit your ear at roughly the same volume. Um, I don't know that this is a major problem that needs to be solved, but I definitely know like, you know, there are certain situations in my desktop studio setup where, you know, depending on where I'm sitting, one of my monitors kind of blocks one of my speakers and it definitely does sort of affect um, how much the audio hits my ear from that one side. So um, I guess this could kind of be cool. Um, it's just one more thing that Apple can uh, claim that they came up with a solution for though. So I'm sure they'll put a whole ton of marketing spin and crazy over the top explanations for how cool this technology is. Um, but I don't know, do you guys ever find that you really have an issue with the way your audio sounds? I guess the big question would be, is this only going to be something that's compatible with the internal speakers on say, uh, you know, a Mac laptop or something like an iMac or would it still be able to be controlled and affected if you're using external speakers? Because I don't know that many people that use the built-in speakers on say their iMac or, or even for that matter, their, their um, laptops. I think most people either connect it to their desk and have some type of audio set up there or are using headphones. So like I said, I'm not sure how big of a problem this is or how far this patent is gonna go, but let me know what you guys think. Do you think this is interesting and helpful or do you think Apple is just looking for some more marketing gimmicks? Let me know. This time of year, right around August through like mid to late September is always the best time to look for laptop deals. And I'm currently looking for a couple of new laptops to purchase for the purpose of doing review videos and review content for the anchor station here. And I've got a couple of candidates that I'm kicking around right now. Uh, I definitely wanna look at the new Inspirion 15 7000 gaming laptop from Dell. And the reason why I'm interested in this is because it's it's basically a very subdued um, gaming laptop. It looks still mostly just like any other laptop. And I think the extra power that's in it, while maybe not fully what most people would consider a full-blown gaming laptop, it's a, I think it has a GTX 1050 Ti in it. Um, I think it comes with eight gigabytes of RAM and a 250, I think a 256 gigabyte SSD. I'm not sure I'll have to double check that, but basically it's it's kind of a, a little bit of a halfway workstation, halfway gaming laptop. And I'm kind of curious as to how this thing would perform with things like video editing or heavy duty Photoshop work, maybe even some 3D modeling in ZBrush, as well as doing some, you know, mid tier gaming. So it does have a 1080p display. So I'm feeling like you could probably max out 
um, the settings on a lot of modern PC games and still get it to run at 60 frames per second or higher because you're only going to really need to run them at 1080p. Um, but I just feel like that could be a really interesting, uh, interesting laptop to test out. I'd really like to see how the performance um, holds up at the price that it currently is at, which is $899. So to me, that's that's a steal of a century. I mean, I think the retail price normally is a thousand. They're offering a hundred dollars off right now. Um, but I think you know at $899, that's a pretty good value for what that laptop has in it. There's also the new Lenovo Yoga 920, and it is a gorgeous looking laptop that's still using the uh, that that unique hinge that Lenovo created about uh, I think it was about a year and a half to two years ago, um, and it kind of looks like a, a watch band. Um, and they call it the 360 laptop or the 360 hinge, and these are the hinges that allow the screen to flip all the way around, almost like a notebook. Um, and so, you know, this one does have a 13.9 inch 4K display, which is insane. I mean, 4K at 14 inches is a little bit over the top, but I'm sure it looks incredibly sharp. Um, and, and on a laptop, when you're sitting that close to the, to the display, I definitely think you can kind of take away some of the benefits of 4K, um, even at 14 inches. So, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a gorgeous looking laptop and I'm, I'm really curious to see how it performs because it's so incredibly thin. It's it's creeping into like, you know, MacBook Air territory. Um, and just based on some of the reviews that I've read, it seems like it's a pretty, pretty nice looking machine. So uh, I'm considering grabbing that and doing a review and seeing how that holds up. And then there's another Lenovo laptop, which is the, well, actually, I guess it's the Microsoft Surface Alternative. It's the Mix 520. If you've been on the fence about trying to decide, uh, let's say getting a Microsoft Surface Pro, I would definitely hold off until you've taken a good long look at the Mix 520 from Lenovo. It's basically a one-to-one -one Microsoft Surface Pro ripoff. It looks almost identical, but I think it's made out of plastic instead of like a magnesium or whatever Microsoft's using. And uh, you know, they incorporate some of their own little uh, design elements as well. But I think that this could be a good alternative for people. It's obviously gonna be just a hair cheaper um, it is compatible with their version of the Surface Pen. So functionality-wise, I think it's probably pretty much on par with the Surface Pro. And that's kind of what I'd be looking to test out on that. So if you guys have any thoughts about any of these or any other laptops that you'd be curious to get my take on, leave me a comment or give me a call in and let me know what your thoughts are. And I will look into possibly doing a review on one of those products. So let me know. So I think I've mentioned before that I'm not a huge fan of benchmark testing, especially when it comes to smartphones. I think the best way to get a feel for how, how fast and how um, great the performance is on a smartphone is just to use it as your daily driver for a couple days and really kind of put it through a typical type of set of tasks that you might have to put it through on a normal day in day out basis. So I think that the benchmark tests are kind of cool sometimes, but they're really pointless in most cases. However, um, a lot of people obsess over them and love to compare one phone to another or or one computer to another using benchmark tests. And so as is always the case, when a new Galaxy phone from Samsung comes out, the first thing people seem to wanna to do is pit it against whatever current generation iPhone is available. So YouTube channel Everything Apple Pro set out to see if the iPhone 7 Plus could hold its own against the latest Galaxy Note 8. And the, the results are, I guess, surprising, but maybe not really. I mean, they're not that surprising to me. Um, for one thing, we all know that the iPhones always score extremely well on these performance tests. And that's simply just for the fact that their processors, their GPU, 
and their software are all made by Apple and tested thoroughly for performance. And, and everything is tweaked to get the maximum performance out of whatever hardware is inside that particular iPhone. And when you're dealing with uh, most of the other phone manufacturers, you've got hardware that's designed by one company that's trying to work with software, meaning usually Android, that's developed by someone else out of house. Now the iPhones typically always have less cores and less RAM than competitors like Samsung and LG and other companies, but they still somehow always either edge them out or come pretty damn close without needing all that extra horsepower. And you know, that's basically just comes down to the fact that, you know, Android has never really been known for being the model of efficiency. Basically the back end that runs Android and a lot of the other things about the operating system just don't make for the most efficient um, processing cycles. And so what ends up happening is you need a lot of that extra power. If you remember what early Android phones were like, I mean, the, exper the experience was just terrible. Basically, manufacturers were constantly trying to soup up their phones with more uh, processing power, more RAM. Um, and that, that cycle just continued forever to where we are now, where you have like octa-core, eight-core processors, you know, running at these extremely fast speeds and you have uh, phones now that have up to eight gigabytes of RAM which seems crazy for a little phone I mean you know I know people that still don't have eight gigabytes of RAM in their laptop or their desktop computer it's insane to think that a phone needs eight gigabytes of RAM to run smoothly but the reality is that due to some of the inefficiencies of Android you kind of need all that extra horsepower to keep things running smoothly so um, you know basically at the end of the day I think the Galaxy Note 8 beat out the iPhone 7 Plus in a few of the benchmark tests, but I think overall, I think the iPhone 7 actually won, uh, I guess. I kind of, I skimmed through the video pretty quickly. I didn't, I'll leave a link to it here if you guys want to check it out. Um, I didn't watch the whole thing, but basically the gist was they were, they were surprised that the iPhone 7 Plus held up as well as it did, being that it's almost a year old. And so you can only imagine that once the iPhone 8 or whatever Apple decides to call the latest version of the iPhone comes out, it will probably beat the Galaxy Note 8 in just about every aspect. So uh, again, I don't think that's too surprising, but take it for whatever it's worth. Let me know what you guys think. Do you care about benchmarks or do you just want your phone to work and you don't really care about all that stuff? Let me know. So real quick, I wanted to just kind of talk about some of the tech that I used uh, most frequently over the weekend. And so what I had going on this weekend was I was doing a couple of uh, video shoots for some video reviews I have for some upcoming products and getting all of my shot lists completed. So I had all of the, uh, the clips that I need uh, before I start my voiceover work. But um, so obviously in testing out all these different uh, products, one of the things that I used pretty heavily over the past two days was the Essential Phone. And uh, I'm pretty close to wrapping up my full review on the Essential Phone, and you guys can stay tuned for that coming up sometime later this week. Um, but uh, so far, I've been pretty impressed with certain things and pretty disappointed with others. So I haven't really come to a full conclusion just yet. Um, I still have a few other things that I want to test out. Um, I've also, in, in partly because of I was testing out so much of the, the features and functions of the Essential Phone, I did a lot of comparisons to a similar device, something that had similar specs, and that was was the uh, OnePlus 5 that I got recently in uh, the champagne gold, I think, or soft gold. And uh, so they both have the Snapdragon 835 and similar specs. So I did a lot of one-to-one -one comparisons of the two of those. Both really great phones, um, but, you know, obviously massive price differences. So that is probably going to weigh into some of my final verdict on the reviews um, of those phones. So 
Um, and then also, I did all of my uh, shooting this weekend with my my newest camera, which is you know new to me, but not new in terms of new to the market. And that is, I recently purchased a very very lightly used um, Panasonic GH4. And the reason why I did this is because I had been using a Blackmagic cinema camera for the past almost two years, and it was a 2.5K camera that could shoot raw, and obviously, yes, it's it's a digital cinema camera, so it shoots very different um, in terms of the type of video it captures than, say, using a DSLR, but because I have a external uh, 4K recorder, I currently have the Atomos Ninja Flame, which is an external 4K recorder that records to SSD drives, and so when you combine that with the log um, I paid to get the log video uh, recording format upgrade for the GH4. Um, when you combine those two things together, you have almost as a powerful of an, of an image capture you know, capability as you had with the raw recording that I had on my Blackmagic cinema camera, but then I have all the benefits of the 4K image quality. So yeah, recording in 4K, um, it's just I've been wanting to make the jump to 4k for a while and you know upgrading to a cinema camera that could shoot 4k just wasn't in the cards so I'm extremely happy with I'm actually more than happy I'm blown away with the image quality that I'm getting out of my GH4 shooting in log and then uh, recording it via my Atomos recorder and then importing that into uh, DaVinci Resolve to do my color grading and then using Final Cut to edit. It's a great workflow, it's fast, and the image quality is stunning. And it's amazing because the, the GH4 is a couple years old now. I mean, they've already had, they've already upgraded to the GH5. And so uh, I was lucky enough to get a great deal on the GH4. And uh, I think with my current setup, it's gonna be great. Along with that is, I have to say, I, I've just renewed my passion for all of my old lenses. I'm a huge fan of using vintage glass on modern day cameras, whether that's a DSLR or a video camera. Um, I love vintage glass and I have some really great older Nikon glass. I have some older, I have a great Nikon 28 millimeter that has just great bokeh and some really great uh, just characteristics to the lens that just create this really, um, it's something that you just can't get out of a modern lens that's designed specifically for uh, a DSLR. It's just, there's just, I, it's hard to explain if you haven't seen them and compared them. The uh, the DSLR, modern lenses just have this sort of uh, pristine, sterile quality to them. And there's something warm and something just imperfect about some of the little characteristics that are that are common in older glass. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just vintage glass. If you're a camera buff at all, or if you're into digital photography, do yourself a favor and do some research on vintage glass. And you might be surprised with not only the results that you're able to get and how it can sort of basically improve your photography, but also just in how much more fun you're having with shooting. So definitely give some old lenses a shot. And if you have any recommendations for some old glass that you think that I should take a look at or that you just think is really cool and you've been using for a while, leave me a comment or call in and let me know. In some slightly silly tech news, Kotaku is reporting that Mario's company profile has been updated and he is no longer a plumber. <laughs> I'm not sure why I think this is so amusing, but uh, I didn't even know that Mario had a company profile over at Nintendo. Uh, I think it's really cool that they do that. I mean, obviously Mario is a big part of basically the culture of Nintendo as a company. And so I think it's cool that they continue to, uh, I guess, kind of revere him or put him um, as sort of the, the headpiece for the company. 
but Nintendo took some time to update his profile and it now reads the following. All around sporty, whether it's tennis, baseball, soccer, or racing, Mario does everything cool. As a matter of fact, he also seems to have worked as a plumber a long time ago. So I guess, uh, you know, that's going back quite a long ways. Really, Mario hasn't done a whole lot of plumbing in, in quite a long time. Um, but, uh, you know, he's been uh, through quite a lot over the, uh, the past 25 plus years, starting all the way back with Donkey Kong and obviously moving on to Super Mario Brothers and various other games. So, um, you know, I think it's just kind of interesting. Uh, I don't know that there's anything you could really equate this to in American culture or um, really anywhere else. So I don't know, I just thought it was kind of cool and I figured I'd share it with you guys. So that's going to do it for the special Labor Day edition of the Tech Download here on Gadget Reason Radio. Hope you guys enjoyed the content. I know some of you probably won't be listening to this today. You probably won't be hearing it until sometime tomorrow or late this evening at the earliest. But I figured I would record it and leave it up here for you guys anyway. Thank you again to everybody who continues to favorite the station and tune in every single day. And thanks to everybody who's been uh, subscribing to the podcast as well. I hope to uh, continue doing this for quite a while. And uh, if you guys haven't already done so, please head over to my social media platforms at Gadget Reason and follow me there as well. Anyways, thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your Labor Day and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. 